0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: Believe.
2: Welcome to the Believe in New Year Football Podcast presented by BetOnline.ag here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. The NBA and college basketball seasons are back, and the Super Bowl is right around the corner, one week away. With all these sports going on, there are plenty of bets to lock in on at betonline.ag. Whether you're thinking of picking the Lakers to repeat as NBA champions, or you're picking the Bucs to upset the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, you need to go to betonline.ag and place your bets today. We went an incredible 63% 63% here at the Believe in New York Football podcast against the spread in the regular season of the NFL. And we'll have more picks for you guys as the big game approaches. But you need to have to bet online to do so from game spreads to totals to team player and coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any other place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So go to betonline.ag today and take great, uh, take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. What is up, everyone? How are we doing? Welcome back to the Believe in New York football podcast. I am your host, Steven Tino Rodriguez, and you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, the Believe website. You can also check us out on YouTube at the Talking Tino channel and We'll be doing a lot of live streams over there more often, making sure that you guys get all your betting needs from betonline.ag, as well as myself, and when we have guests on giving out our best bets. Again, the big game's only one week away, so be sure to go there and check that out. Subscribe and give us a follow. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, at NYFootballPod, as well as myself, at Tino Rodriguez, with a double underscore. We have an awesome show for you guys today. Recurring guests, Bill Campy and Pat Martino are back for the second straight week to talk all things Jets from the draft to the quarterback situation and we keep we recap the past weekend of NFL action Uh, championship weekend was a crazy one the Bills unfortunately the run was over for Bills mafia, but we got ourselves a Brady and Mahomes Super Bowl so that's something to really look forward to we dive into all of that and we're going to dive right into this discussion with Pat and Bill so without further ado here they are Bill Campy and Pat DiMartino All right. So I have the great pleasure of welcoming on again. They've handcuffed me two weeks in a row now. No, this isn't a handcuff, but you did convince me last week to bring you guys back on pretty flawlessly at that. I said, yeah, we'll do this again soon. And Pat said, I'll see you next week. And just off that alone, I welcomed you guys back on with open arms and I'm glad you guys are here because we have a lot to talk about, but Pat DiMartino, Bill Campy are back. We have a bunch to dive into, but let's start with this. How is the weekend, fellas? How are we doing? How are you all holding up?
1: Well, it's, it's great to be back. I mean, everything went, <laughs> went uh, sterlingly. Uh, I'm a little exhausted, actually. I hosted some friends at my place in New York State, did a lot of cooking and cleaning and uh, overindulging in alcoholic beverages. So I'm regrouping a bit, just rewatched the games this morning. So I'm excited to talk about them. Yeah, me and you both. Me and you both. Yeah.
0: yeah. It was uh, it was an enjoyable weekend uh, for the most part. Sad, sad on Sunday uh, for multiple ways. Just Bills Mafia going down in such a inglorious fashion, and uh, the Packers-Bucks game was a pretty good game um, to really watch. Uh, obviously, more enjoyable than the, the the Bills-Chiefs game, but not much to complain about. You know, it was a it was a solid weekend for football. Certainly, the future is bright for. Uh, some young quarterbacks
2: the future is bright for a lot of young quarterbacks and speaking of bill seamless transition transition right there that was great that was beautiful because we're going to talk about young quarterbacks um, multiple at that we'll try not to go off the rails too much here we're going to try to stay on topic this is beating a dead horse like I told you guys uh, before you came on but we'll start with what the Jets should do at quarterback we talk about this often but with the Mel Kuiper drop mock draft coming out and then projected to take Devonte Smith, a wide receiver at number two overall. I think we're all in consensus that that is not necessarily a real option, but there is a few other things we can do. We talked before we got on air. There's a, there's multiple ways they can go about it, but let's start with Watson. What's the package you're looking at if they still decide to do this? I mean, it could take until the draft for anything to actually happen, but are you, obviously this first has to be involved in that, but, you got to do what? Both these first, and next year's first. What's too much? What are you looking at? Like, what's the right size package for you in that deal?
0: In uh, in my opinion, looking at you know all the all the analysts have said, well, it's going to take at least three firsts. I'm under the impression it's going to take four, and probably a a second or or two thirds or a third and a fourth, something along those lines. I think it's going to need to be six picks five to six. Um, It would need to be the number two this year, the number 23. And depending on how they go, if they said, okay, we'll give you the number 34, then next year's first, I think they would probably have to throw in a a third in the whatever to sweeten the pot type of thing. They maybe could avoid giving a fourth fourth first. Uh, But I I think it's going to be the second Probably the 34th, next year's first, and the following year's first. I think that's the starter. Um, and they would probably throw in, I think, a future third uh, for next year. And that would probably be – that would be the most I would go. Uh, if they're asking for any more than that or roster players like and Williams or anything like that, uh, it's not worth it at that point. Deshaun Watson's a top five, top six quarterback in this league – um, he was stellar last year on a, on a team that was, you know, competitive, but obviously undermanned. He doesn't seem to be enjoying what's going on in Houston, but you take that with a grain of salt. Cause you know, we're not there and we're not even in Texas to talk about it. I'm sure that they have all the ins and outs as fans and what have you in, Texas, uh, in Houston radio, but, um, it's something that seems to be repairable, uh, would it be something that the Jets should absolutely look into? I think they should. Um, it's not something that ha- has happened very often. I was actually last night. I was just looking, trying to figure out if there's a comparable situation in in the in the history of the uh, of football of the NFL. And the only thing I could really think of in terms of compensation was the RG three trade. And we know how terrible that trade wound up being. But in general, that RG3 trade, it was, hold on, let me pull it up quick. But the RG3 trade, I believe, was two, th- two firsts, a second. And I'll pull up the exact thing. But obviously, it went. It didn't end well. And in our my worst case scenarios, the only thing that could make me think that going Watson and doing something like this would make it not worthwhile would be you know him possibly getting injured and not being the same. but other than that though he's a proven commodity so you probably have to bump it up. so the Redskins gave excuse me the Washington football team gave the Rams their the number two pick and the Rams received the sixth overall the a second round selection which was 39th, the 2013 first. And the 2014 first. So three firsts and a second for an unproven rookie at that point in time in 2012. So you're going to have to bump it up probably, I think, another first in order to secure that. So four firsts and a second, I think, gets it done. Um, Is it worth it? I'm under the impression it is. Am I sold that it's going to happen? No.
2: Well, fair enough. So we keep talking about it right now on betonline.ag. The Jets are even locked. I mean, they're the outright favorite. I think it dropped down probably closer to three to one. The Dolphins are sitting at four to one. It looks like it's a two man race right now. But I think after all the news dropped that um, the Jets, you know, became the emerging favorite for him. Obviously, they locked things up because it seemed like they were really amounting steam and things like that might happen. But I'll toss it to belly here. For you, I mean, from the jet situation, there's obviously a lot of young quarterbacks you see in this draft that they could possibly just take at number two and just settle with that. Obviously, they still have Sam. But for you, is it worth mortgaging all that? Is it worth doing all that? Of course, Deshaun's the player. He is. But would you much rather do something else like draft a younger quarterback at two or maybe later in the first and then kind of structure your team that way?
1: I mean, me, me personally, that's that's probably the direction I would go in. It's impossible for me really to analyze what's happening inside that room. I mean, I I think about it this way. If Deshaun Watson, in the eyes of Joe Douglas, Robert Sala, and Mike LaFleur, does he fit everything in their criteria to a T that coincides with the vision they have for this football team? Is he the perfect piece? If he's not the perfect piece, I'm not going to, you know, mortgage so much draft capital for the next four to five seasons. Also, how much do I like – Justin Fields. How much do I like Zach Wilson? How strong am I? Um, Joe Douglas. A big part of what he has to do is analyze how strong is the top end of these drafts going to be over the next three to four years. Like how much is that pick going to be worth? Uh, Some drafts are stronger than others. Uh, I I just don't think we have enough answers on the outside. But you know, that it's the one position in sports that if you think he is the perfect fit, I think he happens to have a, a lot more flaws than other people do. That's a personal opinion. Uh, again, if it's LaFleur and Salah and Joe Douglas, all of them, if it fits the vision, I think you get it done. And it almost doesn't matter exactly how much you're giving up. That's my my personal take on it.
2: Well, go get your guy. I mean, that's ultimately it. I mean, if you know he fits everything that you're talking about, checks all the boxes, go get him. It doesn't matter, you know, really what you're paying for him. Obviously don't overpay, but at the same time, you know, what's a few first if you're going to have your future franchise quarterback and he is locked in on a contract right now. So there's that as well. You have some security there. You don't have to exactly negotiate an extension. I wanted to talk to you guys kind of about where you're at. Obviously, mock draft season is among us. So I really, uh, I addressed it on this podcast two weeks ago, how I knew the Jets would be linked to Smith. Obviously, it's hard not to when you have a receiver who won the Heisman. The Jets have so many needs. Why would you not take someone like that at best player available? But I think they have a million other needs. Obviously, they need weapons for Sammy. But again, you're tied to Watson. You're tied to other quarterbacks. It doesn't seem like getting Sam Darnold weapons is the must need on this team right now. I don't see how they pass on Sewell, but what are some of the younger quarterbacks? And and we had this talk beforehand, so I kind of know where to gauge you guys on this, but who are you higher on than most? I know Pat has some people, but we can start with Campy. Campy, who are you looking at out of this draft in terms of quarterbacks that obviously aside from Trevor, some people aren't necessarily talking about?
0: Um. Uh, well, to to be before we even get to that, I agree that Sewell I think would be the best pick at two. Um, I tweeted that out actually initially once the Jets got eliminated, and then I I started watching this guy called you know named Zach Wilson from BYU, and I I redacted that pretty quickly. So I'm I'm un, I'm in the camp of if they take Sewell, that's great, and if they take Wilson, that's great. I think those are really the only two people they should be looking at personally for two. And if you don't like, or if you're not in love with either of them, you trade back and what have you, but the, the whole Devonte Smith thing first, you do not take a receiver in the top five unless they are a freak. All right. They need to be Calvin Johnson esque, uh, something of that nature. They can be, you know, Devonte Smith, won a Heisman was unbelievable. You know, th- is is going to have, I think, a, a successful professional career. Um, but the idea of taking a guy that's 6'1, you know, 200 pounds as the number two overall, I just don't see the merit in it. You can find guys like that, not necessarily on the same, you know, talent level, but you can find guys like that really every year that fit that mold uh, of a receiver. You don't find guys that are 6'5, six, 6'6 um and can you know or or megatron or anything like that those are guys that i think you take top five and take a shot at them you got to go with a more valuable position what's more valuable than i mean not more valuable but probably just a tier below the two positions are edge rusher and offensive lineman so if an offensive line play in the nfl is brutal uh, on a lot of different teams, and you already got beckton If you go with that, you know, another mountain and, uh, and bookend with Becton and Sewell, and you can move Beckton to the right tackle, you can whatever, uh, that's a hell of a way to help Sammy out. Yeah, it's not the sexy pick because it's not a receiver. It's not, uh, you know, a quarterback, but it probably is the right play if Sala and Douglas are going to put their faith in Darnold. Now, if they didn't feel that Darnold was the guy, I'm under the impression for the second part is Donald's up for a contract. You know, they got to figure out if they want to keep him and give him his fifth year option. Uh, and now you got to figure that out by May. So if you want to turn the clocks back on the cap, well, it makes sense to take Zach Wilson and just re-up the quarterback position, not only because he, he I think, has a better skill set, but also you get to, you know, remove that contract extension from Darnold. You can trade him, get some type of asset, probably a third at best. And then you restart with Wilson, who's got, I think, again, a better skill set. So there's plenty of options and valuable options, but it does have to do a lot with just what Sala and Douglas uh, feel is the right direction.
2: So that's a perfect segue to Pat, because both of you guys are higher on Zach Wilson than Well, Mel had him as the second quarterback off the board. So I guess this is more news to me because this is kind of not what I saw exactly panning out when you looked at everything preseason, just kind of how everything amounted. But I guess the stigma of Ohio State quarterbacks live on. So, Pat, tell me what you like about Zach Wilson so much and just, you know, what could he bring to the Jets if they did decide to take him at number two?
1: Well, I watched every BYU game from start to finish, and uh, he was the best player in the country this year. If you like Patrick Mahomes with a B arm instead of an A arm, then you like Zach Wilson. That's my best comparison. He ran an intricate offense, under center a ton, a lot more than college kids typically are. I think Fields is more of a pure spread guy. Uh, I think Zach can do it all. I, I liked a lot of first of all, I liked his progression in his career. He's also young. He's not one of those BYU guys who's already gone on like a mission and he's like 26. The Dolphins drafted John Beck years ago in, in a spot like that he was supposed to be the savior. So Zach's still a young kid, but he has big aspirations. I heard him in the offseason say he studies film on Mahomes, on Rogers. He wants to be great. Like he's, he, he's got some swag to him. Uh, very gifted player. To me, he's the clear quarterback too. I actually think he's the best quarterback in the draft. I know that's a bizarre statement. Um, Devontae Smith, to me, is not even the number one receiver. Uh, so if you're going to go that direction, like can't be said. If 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 they think Darnold uh, is worth another year, then you have to take the tackle. I mean, I, I haven't really broken down a lot of tape yet, but based on what all the O line guys are saying, Sewell is the real deal. So that's the direction I would go if I'm going to hold off on QB. But you know, I. I I'd be very surprised if Zach Wilson doesn't end up in New York.
2: So luckily for me, I mean, even with the tape, you don't have to worry too much about, well, breaking down Sewell's tape because if you broke it down at all the year before, there's no new tape to break down. So it's pretty much the same player. You're looking at the same thing. So at least I'm rolling off that. I remember from last year, but I think you guys made a lot of good points. I I mean, I saw Zach Wilson play and I, I think you're right. I'm just, it's interesting to me. It's interesting to me because now I want to know how far does fields fall? Because there's a lot of hype around Trey Lance, who is also a guy that didn't play all this year. And I want to see, I think that's another big draft storyline. I kind of want to see how all the people who took the year off and kind of redshirted this last COVID year, even the Jamar Chases of the world, how many of them stay inside that top 10? And even for Smith, maybe Smith stock did get benefited from the Heisman or did he win a Heisman? And he still goes behind Chase, which I think should happen. I, I think Jamar Chase is the better of the two, but I love draft storylines. It's great. And then I just can't wait for the one guy to smoke a, smoke a bong before the draft starts and his stock falls and he falls into the mid twos and it's just like, what happened? And it's great. It, there's nothing better than seeing uh, seeing kids' careers start right, right before our eyes.
0: I, I really think that the this receiving class is on par, if not maybe better, than last year's. You know, there's a lot of depth, I think, with the receivers. Um, I mean, between, obviously, when you have top two, like Smith and Chase, you're probably got two guys that, I mean, you probably take both of them over, you know, rugs and, and, and so on from last year. And then Rashad Bateman, you know, you can't sleep on him. He's a guy that sat out, um, you know, a little bit bigger body. I, I think that you'll see a, a few receivers obviously go off the board, um, in the first round, I just the there is no merit in taking a guy that isn't just physically gifted, to the sense of you know just a matchup nightmare in the top five.
2: I also think it's nuts because right now they have three receivers going in the top ten, and that's pretty much what happens every year in these mock drafts. I, they they had it last year, and that it doesn't necessarily work that way. You'll see them you know kind of shoot off the board rapidly after each other in the mid teens, and the Giants are going to be in a ballpark of that when they pick at eleven, but. Um, they were projected Kyle Pitts. I've been beating the drum for that. But if they do do that, we have to see what happens with Ingram. A lot of people believe they might keep the two. We'll see. We will see. But this is not a Giants part of the show right now because I need some relief this week. We're going to talk about the Jets, and it's a lot better for me if we don't talk about the Giants right now. So let's move on and let's recap some of these games from this past weekend. And all of us kind of have a bit of a coaching background, and I think the hot topic and the hot take of this, we'll start with Green Bay and Tampa Bay, is ultimately – Matt LaFleur decided to hand the ball back to Tom Brady without taking a chance to tie the game. Now, in that situation, they were peeking towards the red zone or they were inching past it. They decided to settle for a field goal, make it a five-point game instead of an eight-point game. If they go for it, they decide to do what they do. Oh, They were definitely in the red zone. I believe they were inside the 10. If they decide to go for it, don't get it it's still an eight-point game. They had three timeouts. I believe they had the two-minute warning. Things could change. The floor decided to settle for the three, give the ball back to Brady, and ultimately nothing happened after that for the Packers. So for you guys, is that the right call? Did you kind of understand what was happening? And is anyone else looking there? Like, I mean, it's Rogers Brady, but you don't want to give either of those guys the ball to end the game. If you have a chance, you gotta to try to tie it right then and there. No, I mean, as much as you're believing in Rodgers to do something with 30 seconds left, that Packers defense hardly did anything. They they woke up in the second half, and I think that's ultimately why he believed in them. But if it was me, I don't care how well they did recently. I just – I would not have made that call.
1: Campy, what do you think? I want to hear your take first.
0: Well, on LaFleur, I personally I – I would have gone for the touchdown uh, because even if you miss it, you have them backed up, you know, uh, on their own – uh, eight, eight or six, whatever it was, um, and so if you don't, you don't get that touchdown. It's not the end of the world technically because they're pinned back. So you got you got to rely on your defense still to get a stop. Uh, which, I mean, uh, and we'll get to it, but uh, you got to rely on them to get a stop. You still have the two minute warning. You still have some those timeouts. So it's not the end of the world and the payoff is huge because you can score that touchdown and then you got to convert that two-point conversion to tie it. But you're in a better position, I think, going for it for that fourth down. I think the, in theory, LaFour almost pulled it off um, uh, with that. And look, I, I understand that the call was the correct call for the, uh, the pass interference and what have you. But it was shameful the fact that they called that in that scenario after they'd let those guys play the entire day. And I'm okay with that. I prefer it that way. If you let the refs put their whistles in their pockets and they do it all game, they have to be consistent. And so my problem with that was the fact that they decided to blow that one and call that one of all the calls that could have been called on both sides. um, I just, I hate that. It gives me, you know, it puts a bad taste in my mouth in that scenario, um, just based off of, you know, the, it would have been even better just to see it, you know, end on whether Rogers succeeds or not, um, you know, against a pretty good defense. So I, 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 uh, I think you go for it in that situation case in point, but, uh, you know, he looks like the goat, the bad goat, uh, when he kicks it and they don't get an opportunity.
1: Yeah. Um, I was kind of disappointed when, that situation even arose in the first place because I knew that would be the talking point. I knew that'd be all the buzz on ESPN. And something that bothers me a lot about mainstream sports media, what people need to understand about that spot, it's literally a 51-49 mathematical difference one way or the other. It could be, it could really go either way. It's not as clear as everyone's making it out to be. Number of reasons for that. Uh, getting three there basically assures that there's not overtime. If you score, you still need to get two. You still need to stop Brady from going down the field and kicking a game-winning field goal. You still need to win the game in overtime. A lot of things still have to happen. I probably would have gone only because I thought at that point Green Bay had the advantage in the game. Both safeties were out for Tampa Bay. I liked my chances in overtime. They kind of were running out of answers, so I would have went for the tie right there. And, you know, come after him defensively and try to get a stop. But I really don't hate either way because the math is very close. It's like professional poker players all the time. They get hung up on breaking down these micro close spots that are life and death between winning or losing the tournament. Well, when the real errors occur, when you make the 90-10 mistakes, like not the 50-50 ones. And I think Green Bay made a ton of mistakes in the game that were much more egregious and glaring. Uh, than, you know, a coin flip-esque decision. First of all, Rodgers has to execute on third and goal from the eight. They're in man under two deep. You have to scramble in man under two deep. He had a lane. Take it off and go, man. If they get down inside the five there, first of all, he's scoring. Let's say he doesn't. If he gets to the two or the three, they're going for it. Also, they've gone for two once in the game already, failed. They ran a few third and two-ish plus plays that the Bucks had good answers for. The one where Adams came in motion, then he retraced. They traveled with it, then they bumped it. Like, they had Green Bay a little bit stumped in in those two-point conversion type down in distances. So, I don't know. I think a lot still had to go right had they gone for it. And uh, at the end of the day, they just didn't play well enough to get the job done.
2: He absolutely should have scrambled, and he would have had it. I mean, I don't know why he forced that ball, and it's very uncharacteristic of Rogers. But I think it all ties in because to what you were saying, the Bucks D, despite being shorthanded there, played really really well I have no idea what happened to Aaron Jones I don't know where he went or why he just played the way he did I know he got hurt but it didn't seem like that the body language was kind of telling me something different so that was a big factor but the Bucks forced an interception on Aaron Rodgers and my might I ask a really impressive interception at that so I wanted to tie this with the fact that Brady didn't exactly kick the doors in in the second half. They left room for the Packers to come back, but this Bucks D did enough to get the job done. That was my big takeaway from the Bucks. Uh, we talked about this. I know Pat highlighted it a lot when we were both on the Bucks. This was the when I had. I know Pat ended up two and zero. Campy, you ended up zero two. We didn't harp on that yet. We can touch on it before we get to the Super Bowl, or I just mix it in right there. So now the people know. But we were on the Bucks, and large in part, we said, was because the defense was a difference maker in that last meeting, and it proved to be the same thing this time around. For you guys, what stood out most for you on the Bucs side of the ball?
0: To, to, to be fair to Aaron Rodgers, that pick, if the refs called that last one like they did, that should have been a penalty, too. So... I think Rodgers really played a a fantastic game. I don't think he can get much better than what he did. I'm leaving out that end where he should have scrambled. And I agree with, with Pat with if they're inside the five, I think that Lafleur doesn't even blink and they do go for it at that point. Um, instead of being outside of it, uh, that would have certainly made it an easier call. Um, but when it comes to that defense, they're oper- they were opportunistic, right? They they had the they had the injuries, right? Antoine Winfield didn't play. I thought that was a huge, huge piece. And then Whitehead goes out after he's you know, <laughs> chalking you know taking bodies and taking Aaron Jones' soul twice in that game, um, and uh, you you he, you certainly felt his absence as the game went on. Um, you know, the offense clearly ran out of answers for the Bucks. You know, the first half, they were on fire. The one thing, the couple of key things for the Bucs to have won that game, the fact that they were so efficient in the third, uh, on third down in the first half made that, uh, that lead very close to insurmountable. I mean, they were 7 of 10 in, on third down in the first half, and they were 4 of 7 on third plus 7. Like that's crazy when you're able to do stuff like that and convert those. That's disheartening to any defense. So I could understand why the defense was a little off kilter, but um, uh, and then the the defense, the Bucks defense steps up. They they're able to get that uh, obviously the pick, whatever you want to think about it. But they get a pick out of Rodgers. and then they add they force two fumbles, Whitehead, you know, uh, and the second one being. Very valuable because it gives Brady, again, another short field in order to convert a touchdown to start the second half. So, and obviously, the third point I wanted to bring up was Kevin King. Kevin King was brutal in that game. And I and it looked to me like zone to end the half. I don't know what technique he was doing. I don't know why he was so caught up and just focusing on the backfield like they're going to dump it off. And look... You can't, you know, cut your nose off to spite your face in that situation. You gotta peel back and keep it in front of you. You can't give up the big bomb and be down, you know, and give them another six points. You have to play for the field goal there. Kevin King was brutalized all day long. Um, he's definitely a liability in that secondary. I would not be shocked if uh, you know the Packers address it in the draft um, just to try to get another corner player. Um, but he was a liability to the, to the highest degree. Um, and, uh, you know, you saw, you saw that, that play was a huge deal and that, that fumble to start second half, huge deal. I think those are the two plays that really win the game for the Buccaneers, uh, because their, their offense clearly faltered in the second half.
2: Can't be without a doubt. I think a big talking point too for me before the week was exactly that. It's just that not only did they have to generate those turnovers, whether it was from Rogers or Aaron Jones or whoever, but they turned them into points. And it it was a big part of why they were able to beat the saints. They got those turnovers and they didn't settle for field goals they were able to capitalize and turn them into touchdowns. And that end of the half touchdown was gigantic. There were seconds left. That's a blown coverage, almost a borderline Hail Mary when you really look at it, like, and take a step back. I mean, it was just a heave, a prayer, and Scotty Miller ended up in the back of the end zone. Great ball, too, but a turning point. And another thing I wanted to get on, and Pat, feel free to take the floor, but Shaq Barrett. I've been riding Shaq Barrett all season, and I've heard from even Bucks guys that he hasn't been the same player. He hasn't been the same player. I'm a guy for a gamer you talk about a gamer three sacks four QB hits I mean tackles for loss for days put on he put on for the Bucs and and for all the guys that and for all the reasons that the Bucs had you know a, a, a thin defense Shaq Barrett was a guy that I think some people forgot about and he made sure you remembered who the heck he was Pat please feel free to jump in
1: yeah, I, th- I mean, the, the Bucks ends played great. JPP had an excellent game. Both Packer tackles played really poorly. I think everything came to fruition like we talked about a while back. When Bakhtiari went down, that wasn't going to hurt them against the Rams because the Rams do not have the same type of vertical edge rushers, uh, you know, that the Bucks play with. So that they definitely got exploited big time in the game. Those were most of the one-on-one wins came from. Uh I want to talk about the King situation quickly before I sort of recap the bucks, if you don't mind. So that was, that, that was cover three for sure. Uh, do your job, right. Can't be like, I'm sure he's probably thinking, let me get greedy here. They're going to throw a speed out. Let me make a play and take this thing to the house. Cause I thought, I thought Tampa Bay was going to try to complete something for, you know, five to six yards on the sideline to set up a field goal. I'm sure that's what, you know, King was probably thinking too. The call was cover three. I don't like the call by any means, trust me. I would try to be in some sort of outside leverage man with two high, sort of like a cover one, but only rushing three. So I could play two safeties, tackle him in bounds, a half's over. So I didn't like the call from Mike Patton, but King clearly didn't do his job. Like you can't get beat and be deep in cover three. It's just inexcusable. Um, I thought early on in the game, uh, the Bucks stood out to me defensively in terms of their pursuit and just their effort. Their tackling was really good. Whitehead was flying around. They were just getting multiple hats to the ball. Uh, even their missed tackles were still good misses. They were missing with the proper leverage and uh, limiting yards after contact. Uh, David and, and the other kid are just playing on – uh, white are playing amazing. out yeah. after, I mean, my God. Uh, but you could tell – so it was, a, it was a chess match all day. Every time they blitzed, when they were in zero, at least one or two corners got smoked every time. The throw didn't always get there, but you could tell they were trying all they could to not play zero. Every time they played in, they were in zone. Unless the pass rush got there, Rodgers eventually found the open guy, especially when the safeties were out. By the end, the only coverage they had was man under too deep. They ran it like crazy. They ran it in the red zone. And to me, Green Bay not having the answer to that was a major indictment on the floor. I thought they needed to get some quarterback run game going, maybe some gap scheme stuff a little more creative than just playing backyard football. I, I thought they did a poor job there. Um, Bucks offensively, you know, the interceptions were technically the, the correct read. Uh, you know, Evans didn't win outside leverage on that corner route. Also, that was Tom's worst ball other than the Godwin overthrow. He kind of left that inside that needed to be over his outside shoulder, out of bounds, if anything. And, and then the fade to Evans on a really well-disguised slop blitz, they obviously were in play action. Green Bay happened to dial up a perfect blitz call. Brady didn't have enough time to set his feet and heaved it up. You know, that, that's the hot route. Throw the fade. Hopefully he throws it out of bounds where Evans can make a play. Just got underthrown. Unlucky. But I did think Tom was incredibly sharp in the first half. Locked in. Balls were on target. I think that gave the team a lot of confidence in the first half. He played really well. You mentioned they were not getting ahead of the chains. They were executing on third and long over and over and over again. Uh, And I think that they sort of did – every. that was a team win. Every side of the ball did enough. Mickens was really good on kickoff returns, other than the one where he slid down north of the two-minute warning. He should have taken five seconds off the clock there. But I thought they they played well in all phases. They really need this bye week to get healthy, though, or else they're in for a world of trouble.
0: Yeah, I – I uh I I agree with that sentiment that you that you said it was a team win. Uh I know you're a big Brady guy and obviously Brady has his reputation, but I think you saw you know, I don't think when it gets down to it and he, they play top competition like that, I don't think he can carry despite having those those weapons that he has. It's it. He needs assistance, and the fact that he has that defense that's so opportunistic, that's what those short fields. Yeah, you give Brady inside the ten in the red zone. It's it's money most of the time. You know, uh, you it's tough to it's tough to defend when you give him that short field or any of those scenarios, especially with the guys Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. I mean, they they have you know weapons aplenty, and uh, you know if the role was reversed and Rodgers was on Tampa, I don't think the game's even close personally. I think that Rodgers probably lights him up and puts a a 40 burger or 50 burger on him. Um, cuz he looked sharp. Um, I mean that's the thing uh you know I, and I know we have differences of opinion on that but Rodgers is I think the most talented quarterback we've seen until Mahomes is in his 30s personally and I think that Brady is the most accomplished. Um, you know you you talked about it where Brady is that that leader, that general type, and obviously you see him over my shoulder, and that's my dunce cap since I went 0-2, and he's staring a, a death stare into my soul but, um, with his lifeless eyes. But uh, it is just just—it's uh, something to see in, uh, with how Rodgers played some of those throws, man. Even the one on the pick, uh, the pick that he threw, it was right there. I mean, Bunting made a hell of a play. But he's putting it, you know, the way he's able to put the ball just in in those places where it's really just it's his receiver or nobody else. Yep. Um, it, it's 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 fun to watch. Uh, obviously, they miss Bakhtiari, um, and it was it was almost a very cool comeback. I'll tell you that um, when the when the Bucks' offense sputtered, you know, the Packers they the one problem they had is that they didn't capitalize enough on those picks. I know the picks were on the, the Packer side, you know, of the of the field, and if they could have it, maybe it flipped field position or gotten a field goal out of one of those. I think it they wind up winning that game, but the but defense held tough, and uh, that that proved to be the difference. I mean, it's not every day you get Brady to throw three picks, and uh, when you don't convert and put points on those picks, it's it's a uh, it's a tough tough game that you're gonna have
2: we talked about it a little bit last week though but these packers letdowns i mean it's almost stereotypical at this point in the nfc championship it's the same thing every time the defense doesn't get the job done and the offensive line kind of just implodes it's it's almost not really on the weapons even when you look back to far far was a little more crazy with his interceptions but last last year was exactly the same against the niners they just got gashed in the run game instead but still it was the where the d go where for me i i I understand. I understand the layout of the Packers. I mean, they really are who we thought they were, but for me, I look at it as how much longer can they do this? How, how much longer can Rogers do this? I mean, it's really the same story. I mean, yeah, they have enough to get to the dance, but to fall one game short, bridesmaid never a bride at this point. I mean, they already drafted a quarterback in the first round last year. It's just when when's father time coming? Obviously it's not coming for Brady anytime soon. The guy, I don't even know what's going on with him. His chiseled cheeks, he's had more work done than anyone I've ever seen in my life because he looks spry, even for the weather being as cold as it is. But to circle it all together with you guys here, I mean, let's talk about the Packers again. What, for you, is this kind of it? I mean, can they repair this? You mentioned they're going to address the King situation in the draft, but is that enough? I mean, do they have enough? They got to figure out what they're going to do with Aaron Jones. Can they give him money in the offseason. he's a key free agent so right now it's the rogers adams show and that's going to probably get you 9 10 wins in a division that seems like they're going to own until rogers is done but for me i don't know if that's enough to get them to the super bowl i mean they can get this far every year but i i don't know if they're ever going to cross that threshold again
1: uh to me uh, their main issue is that they're more focused at least it's because of who their leader is. They're more focused on external talents than internal talents, and those are two very clearly defined things. Urban Meyer talks about it all the time. Yes, ball placement, athleticism, pure passer, Rodgers, top of the list. He is not an elite alpha leader. He is not. I've seen it time and time again. He does not rally the troops. The Bucks had six incredibly critical drops. Every single time they pan to the sideline after the drive, Brady's in their shit in a positive way positive way. Rogers has that mopey look on his face where he snaps off his chin snap. He thinks the coach is an idiot. He thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. I'm just not as big as fan. I guess I sound super biased, but whatever he's, I know he's a tremendously talented player, but uh, you know, when they won their super bowl, they had Woodson on that team. Who else did they have? They had leaders. I think the Packers issue is leadership more than anything else because they have not handled adversity. Well, I don't think People it's good People forget Clay
2: penalty. Matthews. Prime right. Clay Matthews was a manimal. A manimal. And a, manimal. a
1: great leader. Yeah, a great leader
2: at that.
0: Yeah, you're right. So yeah, I, I, I disagree with that. I mean, yeah, the the fanciful thing is Brady doing all this, that, the other. But Rodgers is doing the same thing for Zadarius Smith on the sideline. So I think it's very much in the eye of the beholder. I don't see him as a negative. I do see him as a leader. He has his quirks and his sense of – uh, in his, in his uh, personality. But when it comes down to ball – he does just fine, and yeah. you know what? The man gives the team confidence because his playoff performances are top notch. The guy is a—he is a, over a hundred QBR in his playoffs. The guy is a gamer, and that's all he does. He just throws dimes and strikes. And whenever you got him at quarterback, you got a shot at winning. And I don't think his skill set is going to be declining, barring injury, anytime soon. Personally, I think Brady's in more—you know—desperate mode. Uh, I, I, I know that you saw those throws, uh, Pat, and we may, again, like I said, maybe just difference of opinion, but I saw a guy that definitely wasn't as comfortable, uh, as I think you think, think he was just, he, he seemed to short arm a couple of those things, uh, a couple of those throws, uh, the one, the Evans in the post, right? Just, just, it's a tough throw to be fair. I mean, it's a tough throw and he just, just barely misses them. Um, and obviously a well-timed blitz, all those things. He, he's certainly not the same player as he was, I think, since they lost to the Eagles. I think you're going to continue to see that decline in his arm strength. Um, this year, he's, hey, he's been stellar. I, I think that by next year, uh, I, I think you will continue to see this, those skills decline you know and you know he ain't going anywhere even if he wins the super bowl he'll be back he's general he's, he's staring he's, at me I'm he's looking
2: a, at him over your shoulder i feel like he's, he's ready greedy the guys he's, war. He's, he's got the eyes of a
0: shark so he, he he isn't done until uh you know once he eats he he continues to eat until he's uh pretty much until he dies so i, I think you're pretty much gonna have to scrape him off the field at mm-hmm. some point when his arm is completely limp uh cool. but
2: that ball it, too to Valdez Gantling from Rogers was a thing of beauty in itself. So I oh, didn't exactly mention it. It's, it's just, what he does. Just in stride, just meets him out down the sideline. And it's exactly what you said. Worst case scenario is going to be out of bounds. No one gets it. Best case scenario is going to be in stride and look as beautiful.
0: It's as it it's amazing. Does. The only other guy that does that is Mahomes. I, I personally. I I really think. Um just the precision of the passes. And Mahomes is, is I, you know. Is unquestionably the best quarterback, and I I think eventually will go down as the best quarterback to ever play, just in the sense of what he's doing at, at such a young age. Um, even ten more years of that, uh, he's going to break every record, and and it'll be it won't even be close. So, um, it, we're watching. You know those two those two quarterbacks. It was quite a show. Um, you know Rogers put a hell of an effort together. I think the Packers defense did everything that they needed to do except succeed on third down. I mean, and the second half they did well enough with the turnovers, but if they were if they cut those third down conversions to half of that, it's a different game. Um and I think the Packers pull away. Uh I, I, I they're there. I think they're there. And they obviously will continue to be there as long as Rodgers is the quarterback. Um but yeah, it is disheartening to be a Packer fan and to see them do so well in the regular season and uh just falter. I, I will say this though, it's not the same team that played the Niners last year. It, that was not the same game. I think that's a uh uh not not the same comparison at all. Cause they were they were run up and down the field from the very get go in that game. Yeah, that uh, hard. yeah, absolutely. And you know, the Niners might come back and be another tough team next year, and who knows? and 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 recover but they they've improved they were i mean when you look at all the stats they were a top 10 defense believe it or not now that also depends on the quality of opponent and everything but they're not far i think they need to shore up that other corner spot i think alexander is a top five corner um zadarius smith and well and preston smith uh didn't quite have the same year they did last year which hurt them and but i do like the progression of Rashawn gary he's proven to be actually quite an impact player. Jersey boy. So, so yeah, absolutely. Jersey's finest. And, and Kenny Clark's, you know, a top five D tackle for me. So I don't think they're far off. Uh, they'll continue to be a top tier NFC team. Uh, they just got to put it together.
1: So Fair um, We'll, we'll yeah, wrap that. this up. I know it's been a, lot, a long time on this topic, but I personally believe that although they are not far off, I would agree with that 100%. And also, I'm not trying to call Rodgers a dog shit leader. <laughs> He's just not, not elite. to me. elite in that area is a little bit different. That's TV 12, Penn Super Bowls. That's what an elite leadership looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this little gap that they have to bridge is the hardest part. Like they, I, I just think they're not going to be able to get there with this particular core unit. Mike Patton's vision is a little bit different. LaFleur and Rogers clearly have a little bit different visions of the team. You look at the draft, They took linemen, fullbacks, H-backs. Like, he wants to pound the rock like he did with Tennessee. Uh, Rodgers is a spread guy. I I just think there's – I actually think his days are numbered in Green Bay. I think they're going to go in a different direction at some point. I uh, just think the in- writing's on the wall too, Pat. I
2: mean, it just makes no sense with how they drafted. I, I, that's the big thing for me. It doesn't really add up with what their plan was since LaFleur has got there. So that's the big thing. Also, I wasn't exactly comparing them. It's just that the fact that I like that you don't need to put analytics to it at all. You can just say, yeah, this team will always get there, but they'll never make it. And it's just like, it'll eat people because it's just right. You know, I ended up being right. Um, I wanted to tie in though, cause we'll transfer over here. Ooh, one one thing,
0: one thing really quick. Uh, yeah. I I don't see them getting rid of Rodgers. I really don't. They would be a huge cat dead cap hit if they got rid of him this year. I think he's there at least one more year, if anything. Um, And uh, Aaron Jones, always a goner. I I don't see them resigning him. I think they feel, and uh, to be honest, I liked what AJ Dillon brought to the table in the second half of the season. I think him and Jamal Williams can do enough of what Aaron Jones does but Aaron Jones would be a nice pickup for a team, absolutely. But uh yeah, Aaron Jones is gonna I, I don't see him coming back to Green Bay.
2: Yeah, be just likes those chunky thighs of AJ Dillon. Um yeah, I mean I, I could see both those things being accurate. I it's just a weird situation. I mean, he probably does stay, but you just have the lingering Jordan Love who was never even ready to play this year in a single game. That's just there. I'm not sure what they're gonna do with that. So that's something to look at in itself. But to compare Mahomes to Rogers, I think that's the most seamless comparison there is really. I mean, before Mahomes there was Rogers, but now Mahomes, man, uh I think the most dangerous thing you can do to the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes is decide to score first, which we thought I think the Bills would do and start early, literally take any lead whatsoever because you're just going to ignite just this fire under him. They were they were down 9 nothing and out of nowhere, pure dominance just took over. I mean, the game wasn't really close after that and kind of happened really fast for the Bills. I mean, they had a lot of momentum and things went spiraling out of control, and I really can't put it any other way other than – who the heck can keep up with the Chiefs right now? I mean, it is insane. Week after week, you just see no one keeping track of Tyreek Hill. I mean, good luck. Really good luck guarding him. Uh Kelsey, I remember I, we made the joke campy. I was like, he hasn't even done that great yet. You're like, he had eight receptions for 100 yards. I'm like, yeah, but he didn't get the touchdowns yet. And two touchdowns. 13 catches, 118 yards. I mean, doesn't get much better than that. That was the explosive game I was talking about. Pure dominance. I think he had eight receptions a quarter and a half into the game. I mean, so how are you going to stop this team? And so before we even get to, because we can just jump to the Super Bowl at this point, because we were already talking about the GOAT debates with Brady and Mahomes. And I'm so happy we're going to get that. Let's talk about this game in general. And we can start with you, Campy, if you want. We were disheartened. Pat was right. He can take his victory lap on the Chiefs in a second, but we were the wrong ones here, and we're kind of disheartened. We wanted this one for Buffalo. So sure. where do you think they went wrong? What what happened?
0: Um, I there are a couple of things. So basically, you know, and 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 Pat talked about it when we did the review of the game. And like I said, we, we were pulling for Buffalo, just western New York in general, just to get to the mountaintop one time. I was talking to my wife when it was going down. I was like, at the end of it, I was like, well. What would you rather have? What, would you rather lose this game or go to the Super Bowl and lose it and then have bring up those memories in the early 90s? So, I mean, it's a tough one to swallow. Uh, but I think that, you know, the AFC East is still very much their d- division. I'm sure they'll be back next year. They have, you know, Allen took many, many strides in improving, uh, and I think he will continue to do so. Uh, the three keys to that game, in my opinion – uh, chief defense did enough to pressure Allen and get him uncomfortable. You know, Spagnola, uh, ha, is a, is a master of scheme and it seems to get those blitzes to come through it, His defense is not, I believe it's not of a, the greatest quality, but he gets the most out of his guys. Uh, and the chief's offense is a cheat code. <laughs> it's, it's mad. It's mad and cheat codes basically. Uh, you know Hill um, is just ridiculous. I mean, obviously Cheetah is well warranted. Um, you know th- the fact that him and Kelsey broke Chiefs postseason records in that game definitely hurt the Bills fans. I think a little bit more. But Kelsey getting thirteen catches and and Hill, I think what one eighty plus. Uh, there is nobody in the league that can cover that guy. I think one on one and uh, either of them. One on one, it's it's pretty clear. Uh, you asked play.
2: St- they lost him in zone, but he yeah. knows it. He he's. It's very understated to me that Tyreek Hill. Everyone just calls him the speedster. His route on that was incredible. Yeah. He knew exactly what the coverage would be. They all kind of shuffled to him. He just waited to sit, and then he's just so purely fast with his yeah. acceleration that boom, he's just gonna dart. If you're flat-footed a little bit, he's gonna be on the other side of the field. No one's there to cover him. It was, it, it was. It's like the flash. It's that yeah. fast sometimes. His acceleration is out of a out of a storybook.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the and the third and final thing, and possibly the most important thing was, and I'm a big Sean McDermott fan. I love the culture he's brought. I was very disappointed in his decisions to kick field goals. That that field goal before the half, I thought they should have gone for it. And you gotta be aggressive when you're playing a team like that, especially when they were going down, it seemed at will, those three straight possessions after being down nine. You could feel the game slipping away. And if they get a touchdown there and they go out and get a stop in the second half to start, whether it's a a field goal, which they held them to, or an actual stop, it's well within your reach. Uh, When when you don't go for that and you kick the field goal and still a two-possession game and the Chiefs get the ball back, or you do hold them great, but then you decide to kick a 20 something yard field goal again. Uh, and so you exchange those six points that could be, you know, if you, if you have the cojones and and you're aggressive, which I think you need to be when you're playing the chiefs, you have to be aggressive because that, that offense is a Maserati. Once they get going, they just don't stop. And, uh, I was very disappointed in that. I think he'll learn from it. I think that that's something that comes with the territory a bit. Uh, But I was very disappointed in the lack of aggression in the play calling. I think when you're in that situation, when you're an underdog, you got to go out and you have to uh, do something to put the top dog on their heels. And uh, they just didn't have it with the decision-making.
1: I guess this is my turn. Um, well, I don't know time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, the game went exactly as kind of, I envisioned to be honest. Uh, you bring Leslie Frazier defense up against Eric B It's bringing a knife to a gunfight. Uh, they had no answers. Um, they killed them on anything. They had whatever they wanted. Really. It was misdirection. They had the ground game going at times. They had Kelsey, they had Tyreek, they had sprint out, they had reverses. They literally had whatever they wanted and the bills defense undersized fast. They play tough, not overly technically sound, not the great, not, not the greatest group personnel wise. And I, like I referred to against the Colts and the, and the Ravens, they did well when they knew what was coming and the chiefs of anything, keep you on your heels. You just better read your key, do your job, play fast, play physical, play hard. And the bills, I thought were guessing at times there was just so much open space for these Chiefs explosive playmakers to prance up and down the field. It was, uh, it was kind of laughable. I think it was actually very discouraging f- for the Bills and Bills fans. It, that is not how I would have wanted this year to, to end. That's going to be a sour taste in their mouth. That feels like you're like way further away than some people thought. I mean, yes, it's a bad matchup. You need a great running game to counter the Chiefs. You have to take the air out of the football. I've said it a zillion times. The Bills can't really play like that. Their hands were tied. The Bills' offensive line was dreadful in the game. Uh, once you get in third and long against Kansas City, Spagnolo does a great job dialing up exotic pressures. Tyron Matthews was all over the place like he's been for, a, you know, a number of years now. And, uh, you know, Josh Allen, I, I think the Bills played the same game they played the last two weeks, and that, that's been my argument. Allen would not take the check down. How many 25-yard loss sacks is he going to take and intentional groundings? Get the ball out of your hands. He did not do a good job taking what was given to him. They kind of wanted to force the issue and go for it all. That's his nature. Hopefully that's a learning experience for him and not a a trend going forward because he has come a really long way. But an alarming game for for Bill's Mafia for sure.
0: Yeah, it was – I I think that's accurate. I think it was certainly disheartening for for Bill's Mafia. Um, But uh, I I do see that as – you know, it's a progression. If you if you look at the team like they were last year when they lost to the Texans, it was I think in a in a way kind of similar to that how it played out. Just Allen being a little careless with his uh, his awareness in the pocket and not throwing the ball away in certain situ- situations. You know, it, it's funny. It's it, when you're that big of a of just a stud and you can literally stiff arm 300 pound men and have them repel off you it almost becomes a detriment when you just don't want to get rid of the ball and do the the heady play and just want to hulk out and 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 throw these guys to the side sometimes so he he does need to learn that i think he will um obviously as you get older and your body starts to break down not be quite as large and and in charge uh you you have to adapt or you will soon perish Uh, so i think he will i think it's just something that it's a learning experience. They made the AFC Championship, but uh, hey, the AFC goes through the Chiefs. It's pretty clear, and it goes through Mahomes for the foreseeable future. Um, so it's a it's an uphill battle for everybody in the AFC. It's not just the Bills.
2: Yeah, without a doubt, Pat. I did like your point because I, I think the reverse. I, I mean, you talk about you know good coaching you saw how disheartened Nicole Hardman was off that fumble caused the turn uh, caused the only touchdown that they had. They immediately put the ball into his hands, forced it to him on an RPO, then gave him the reverse, which was probably one of the biggest, most explosive plays in the game. And they really were doing anything they wanted. And the bills almost just didn't stand a chance defensively. And the other point I'll let you jump in was that running game. We talked about it, but the running game was unexistent other than Josh Allen. And again, it's not their fault. I don't know if they had Zach Moss, it would change very much, but You're not going to do anything to the Chiefs if you try to play their game, if you try to do what they were doing. And and even with Josh Allen having the arm he has, he wasn't exactly playing the smartest game to what you guys said. So, I mean, you got to play perfect. It is insane how good and flawless Mahomes could play sometimes. His QB numbers were absolutely ridiculous. Everything was almost over 100. He didn't turn the ball over. He had like 300 passing yards. It's like you can look at everything. You wouldn't know the guy was concussed with an injury. You had no idea. So it's 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 insane how good they looked for a team that started down 9 nothing. They took a quarter off. They did all that in three quarters, basically. And it's just wild. It looked like the Bills just didn't have the right scouting report there because I, I mean, even if they tried to do the running game through Josh Allen, you have to realize that's only going to get you so far, especially when your quarterback is going to be that aggressive and take those 30 yard sacks that you guys were hinting to. I mean, it was too much. Those were killer. Those are drive killers. They were at the 50 at one point. He brought it back to the 20. It's just it's not going to get the job done.
1: Yeah. Singletary had a huge drop to at nine, seven down. Uh, the chiefs mm-hmm. had just scored to make it nine, seven. The bills would have been in the red zone. If he makes this catch, uh, Nance, I remember saying, oh, you heard footsteps from Tyron Matthew. Then you see the replay. He was like 30 yards away. So (laughs) that was not the case. That was going to be a big gainer.
0: That Um, was brutal.
1: He just didn't execute well in big moments. And I guess just one last thought on the Bills in general, I was really high on them coming into this season. I like what they did last year. I I didn't love their draft, though, which was kind of the first indicator to me that I wasn't thrilled with the long-term direction. I just didn't see any improvement with this team as the year went on. I think they were like firing on all cylinders in October, uh, occasionally, and then they would at times as the season went on, but not with as much consistency. I don't know. I I like teams that build and are are maybe not, you know, routing teams in week one. That's nice. The Ravens do that too. Let's build for a championship NFL 17 weeks playoffs. It's a long time to be at your peak performance. You notice the last few years now the Chiefs have had their, like, mid-season swoons, and then they've peaked kind of at the right time. Uh, I don't know. I, I have a little trouble with Buffalo's direction. Uh, what's the deal with Dable? He, did he get a job or not? I haven't followed yeah, Now, No, stay
0: staying put. Um, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, the Bills were undefeated in December. They were they were going in the right
1: direction. Results-wise, though, I thought behind the scenes, the behind the, if you peeled the layer back, I did not think they played as well in some of those games. I really didn't. I thought there was a lot of variance to it. Uh, you know, the- 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 I mean, the quality
0: of opponent, you could argue, wasn't yeah. certainly the best. I mean, they did beat the Steelers at the time. Uh, at the time, they were 11-1. and one. So okay. before and- they, the wheels completely fell off.
1: And played a really poor half in that game, too, if you remember. They needed a pick six just to get on the board. The Steelers were lifeless after that. I don't know. I think the Bills were a little bit fluffed up. Because of that light schedule and maybe not playing as elite of a brand of football, uh, and that, listen, they had a great year. They lost to the Chiefs. Uh, I just worry about what is their path to to long term success. They need they better get this offensive line corrected because yeah. they need more balance on offense. They have to. Yeah,
0: I I mean it is it's funny to look. Get a, you know, it it goes against everything you think about when a team goes thirteen and three, and they lost to the Chiefs twice. You know, and yeah. uh, and they lose to the Titans, and they lose to the Cardinals on a on a lucky play. But uh, I, I get what you're saying. Uh, I I don't think I'm as down on them as as you are. Uh, I do agree the offensive line needs to be addressed, um, and they do need to get a consistent run game that isn't just Josh Allen. To really take that offense to the next level, Um, defensively, I mean, who knows? Leslie Frazier might not be there next year uh, if if he gets the Texans' job. So, um, certainly more questions on the defensive side than the offensive side, I would say.
2: Well, I mean, to your point, though, the Chiefs are the AFC right now, and it's crazy how you know you think back a few years, it'd be the Patriots, and we can tie it all together because I look at this as The matchup, let's go to the Super Bowl here. The matchup that everyone kind of wanted deep down. I mean, you want Brady to hang around for a matchup like this. I mean, really, you talk about who's going to be the next GO over the next 10 years, at least for this generation. And you got the guy who goes to more Super Bowls than anyone in history. He's at 10 now, which is absolutely insane. Even if he loses, he's above 500, which is crazy. I mean, we're talking about like LeBron numbers. Like people are going to have to mock him for making Super Bowls. That's how elite this guy's company is right now but we're getting the rematch we're getting the rematch and there's no Patriots to it it's not Belichick and Brady versus Mahomes it's Mahomes versus Brady right now um obviously we talked about Brady might not be as fine tooled but I do think maybe when you think about the defensive side of the ball he might have a more complete team but again, You got you got the kingmaker in uh, Steve Spagnuolo, who's played Brady a few times in a Super Bowl or two. So he kind of has him figured out. So, I mean, there are so many things to talk about in this. I mean, we could speak generally because I'm sure we can talk about this more next week when the Super Bowl is actually upon us. But for me, the thing I'm most excited to see is just Mahomes Brady, just to have that conversation. I think if you look at it from any range of sports, you want the best versus the best. And we've been able to get that in terms of the quarterback position, whether you can say the bucks were the best team in the NFC can be debatable. Sure. But these are the guys and a lot of people hate Brady, but the hates his motivator and he got there. And now they're the first team to host a super bowl. They're going to be dogs in it. It's going to take everything in my power being that I have a futures on the bucks to not bet a home dog and Brady in the super bowl. But, Just talk to me, guys. What are you looking forward to in this game, and uh, what are you most excited to see?
1: I I guess I'll I'll kick it off. We'll get into the game in more detail at another time, but sort of my first impression, uh, I kind of know what I'm going to get between Brady and Mahomes, so I'm always excited to watch them play. But I think the the biggest drama to me in this game is going to be the offensive line versus defensive line battles on both sides of the ball. I mean, I guess that's kind of what I gravitate towards anyway, what I watched. But the Bucks defensively did start to mix Vita Vea in the game. He didn't have his all well, his wind, per se, but he had some quality snaps. I think he'll be a little bit more ready to play in the Super Bowl. That will help them inside. Uh, the Chiefs losing Eric Fisher is a big deal. Um, now they've played games in the regular season without him. What they've done is they moved right ta- Mike Remmers from right tackle to left tackle, Remmers was an amazing pickup for them, by the way, because once Tardif opted out before the season started, tackles a critical position in the Chiefs' offense, and they kind of didn't skip a beat there. So if they can get Remmers over to the left side, they played this kid Wiley. They move him to right tackle. Uh, his one start there was against the Saints. He did well enough. Uh, he got bullied a little bit. But I think the Bucks defensively do have some favorable matchups along that line against the KCO line which is critical because you cannot under any circumstances play one high against Patrick Mahomes. It has to be too deep. There has to be disguises. We can't play a heavy box. Please got to run the ball because we have to bracket Kelsey and we have to bracket Tyreek Hill. We can't run with him. Uh, if, now, if, if the Bucs don't get Whitehead back, Winfield looks like he'll be fine. Uh, they really do need Whitehead. I think the Bucks. my initial impression, need all their guys to get healthy, to really have a realistic shot in this game because they do have some pass and success, like I said, on the defensive line. Uh, they have speed at linebacker, which will help against the Chiefs running game. Uh, I think it's a good matchup, White and and Avante uh, David, against sort of that misdirection counter game that the Chiefs do. Uh, that that I think the Bucs will be okay with. Um, but uh, injury reports are going to be huge. we got to kind of wait and see. A little bit. That's my initial impression uh, on the Super Bowl. What do you think, Cam? Uh,
0: I, I think you hit it on the head with the Eric Fisher uh, going down. I I don't think he's the greatest left tackle by any stretch, but just that bit of consistency is night uh, you, you want to have with your offensive line. I mean, Bakhtiari is probably the best left tackle in in the game, and you and that Packers offensive line performed quite well, but you saw that he was sorely missed, so. Fisher being out uh, certainly could have a, an impact, you know, the you know JPP and Barrett if they come to play like they did uh, in the last game. Now, uh, for me, right, you got to take the, the matchup they had during the regular season with a grain of salt. I mean, Hill had, I think, 200 yards in the first half or something of that nature um, against, I, I, at the time, was a completely healthy defense other than Vita Veya. Being uh, out, um, so it's clear that the the Chiefs can score on this defense, uh, and that that first half they seem to do it at will. But the Buccaneers' defense rallied in the second half, and the the offense was able to chip away slowly at the Chiefs' um, defensive side of the ball in that regular season matchup. I think. You know my first impressions. If the Chiefs score first in this game, I don't think that the Buccaneers uh, can can play from behind. Personally, um, I think that you've seen enough of it from uh, from just the playoffs in general. Uh, they do better when they're in control. Uh, I mean they they were behind in the Saints game just a little bit, but you knew that breeze just wasn't going to be able to hold on to it. Cause he just wasn't the same guy. And that defense was eventually going to make him pay. So I, I really think that the bucks need to score first and it needs to be a touchdown uh, to get them to really be in their comfort zone. Uh, and we all know that even though you score first against the chiefs, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Say,
2: be careful what you ask for. Well, I, <laughs> I also know. think I almost my first impression now that I hear you guys talk I'm almost excited for whichever team goes up first because you'll either get Brady on the sideline getting amped, wrapped, you know, hyped up, you know, at home in Tampa, trying to get the troops going because the Chiefs are having a field day, or you're just gonna see Calm Cool and collective Mahomes just say, I got this, and there's come back from down 24, or whatever it may be. So we might get a really good Super Bowl here, I think, on the other side. It's not the Bucks MO, but if you just talk about comebacks in the Super Bowl, Brady's been linked to a couple of those. So I mean, I'm really gassed up about that. I'm jazzed up about it. Um, Any final thoughts here? Anything you guys want to touch on that I missed?
1: Yeah. So the first matchup I was actually watching uh, in the Borgata Sportsbook. my first time being down there. So I remember the game vividly. Uh, In spite of the ridiculous compilation of yardage and Tyreek going for a trillion yards in the half, the chiefs ended up the game with 27 points. I watched a little bit of that and that, that's actually, like, a, that's great if you go all the KC to 27. Uh, I watched a little bit of the game uh, today, the all-22 stuff, and that lateral quickness of the Bucks defense was useful in the red zone. A lot of short yardage stuff that Kansas City does offensively comes off jet sweep action. They, they rarely line up and run ISO at you, you know what I mean? So they are kind of vulnerable in short yardage. Now, they execute it at an extremely high level. They're a great short yardage team because of the design. But I do think the Bucks, you know, the, the Chiefs are going to move it at will. They're going to be up and down the field like crazy. How many times can we hold them to a field goal? And offensively, how many how many great plays can Tampa Bay make? We can't have six drops this week. I, you know, that, that was enough last week. That can't happen. The Bucks have to play their best game offensively. And defense kind of keep has to doing its thing. They keep having to – they, they have to keep digging in in the red zone. They have to keep running through the football, playing with great effort, great technique. So I agree. I think it's going to be a, an excellent football game. And I have a Chiefs future, so I'm biased the other way. But I'm already thinking about uh, you know hedging out with some with some bucks. Running.
2: When you were talking about the first meeting, and I forget that they played this year, which was a three-point game. It all kind of came to me there for a second. But I thought you were talking about when the last they played, when it was Pats-Chiefs in the playoffs. And that game was decided on an offsides, wasn't it? A defensive offsides on the Chiefs. Yeah, yeah, that was. That came back to me. That was a wild game too. Came down right to the wire too.
0: Absolutely. No, it's it's gonna be. I think it will be a good game. Um, would it shock me if the Chiefs got out to a fast start? I don't. I don't think it would. But just like I was saying last week, you this defense is gonna keep them in the game at some point, and we've seen that you know, they are the, they are the driver. I think that, you know, as that defense goes um, whether it's through turnovers or holding them, holding offenses to, you know, a field goal when they need a touchdown or, or just getting, getting them off the field when they need it, they just seem to do it. Devin white is a, just wreaks havoc and Levante David is, you know, uh, has been consistent at that position for, I think 10 years now. So the secondary is going to be tested quite a bit um it's going to come down to a lot of that just like uh P- belly was talking about with just those edge pressures and being able to get a vertical uh pass rush going um but at the end of the day I, you roll with the the hot hand or you roll with the the guy who holds all the cards, and that's Mahomes so i i would never i wouldn't feel comfortable uh betting against Mahomes you
2: don't want to bet against Brady either. I love it. This is going to be such a back and forth <laughs> thing. Yeah. I'm biased too, but we already know we're hedging that. It's okay. We know we're hedging. So I'll be on both sides either way. I'm a prop guy. Just wait, just wait for my aunt. I'm going to convince you to bet an Anthony Sherman touchdown at some point, And you gonna be like, no way. And then I got it on Kyle. You last year. I love my fullback touchdown. So wait for that. But guys, this was great. We killed it. Hopefully the stream was up and running beautifully, but, um, Thank you guys for coming on. As always, you'll be back. Nothing to really plug here, but thanks for coming on. That interview with Pat DiMartino and Bill Campy was brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, big shout-out to those two guys for coming on again. They will be back on. We're going to have a monster Super Bowl show for you guys next week, so be on the lookout for that. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Checking out all the content, all the stuff I have going on for all you avid listeners out there. I appreciate you. If you're new to the show, like, download, rate, and subscribe on all podcast platforms. We have content coming out every day of the week. I'm all over the place, but the New York Football Podcast is my home, and I appreciate all you guys who have been riding with me since this thing started, since day one. So... Thank you for that. I appreciate it. The season's almost done, but the content won't stop. Be on the lookout for next week's Monster episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. Be safe. Talk to you guys next week.